plates around. I'm going to go ahead and jump in. First, those students, did you notice like it's always go time with them? Like it doesn't matter what it is. Like they are full speed ahead. It's like if we're going to play games with these basket things that look like you're going to catch a butterfly, they're full speed. If they're going out full speed, if it's worship, it's full speed. And it looks like it was just an absolutely amazing two weeks. So when I was a little boy, I am... Um, I was a mess, and it wasn't really from what I said. I was kind of a quiet kid, but there were two specific areas that I was especially a mess. The first was my hair. Here's actually little Billy. This is me, which I look the same pretty much. I haven't really changed. At <laughs> Not that one. Go That one. That's the one. Yeah. No, the other one, everyone did that back in the day. That was cool to do the, you know, the thing. Wait, one more time, just so I can see the other thing. Yeah, yeah, I remember actually taking it. Okay, so my hair, let's just look at the hair for a moment. The hair in the 80s, if you were a boy in the 80s, you really had three hairstyles you could choose from. One was you could do the part, the straight line part, and do the side. Some of you guys did that. So if you were cool, you did the middle part and you feathered it. You know, you did that whole thing, eight is enough style. I'm more like Shaggy Dog. Like, I was like straight down. The problem was when I would wait, this was after football practice actually. And so what would happen is, is my hair, when I would wake up, it would stick straight out sideways. And I'd have to put water on it to try to slick it down. But what would happen is my hair didn't like care about gravity and it would just go, you know, and it get straight back. My hair was always a mess. And messy hair was not in style. You had to have straight hair, like silky hair. That's what you do. So that was the first way I was a mess. The second way was the way that I walked. My mama, she always made fun of the way I, I walked. And she made fun of me because I kind of walked like a Charlie Brown character, you know, where I would like bounce when I would walk. You know, I would kind of do that. And so I'd just bounce. And then even as a little boy, I figured out that like, I kind of like to get up on my tippy toes a little bit because it makes your calves feel jacked, right? And so I was like, as a boy, just a little boy, I'm like, yeah, I like it, you know? And so I'd walk around on my tiptoes, you know, just always, right? And my mom, she had this name. It's humiliating. And she would call me this name, and it kind of hurt my heart because I wanted to be a football player, you know? I wanted to be strong and tough. And I didn't know very many guy dancers in this part of Oklahoma, Welch, Oklahoma at the time. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know any guy. And so she would call me this name and it hurt my heart and names aren't really important. But so she would call me Bill Arena. That's what she would call me. And um, I didn't like that. I just didn't like it very much. She was like, look at you all up on your toes, Bill Arena. You get way up there, don't you? You know, and she would just, she would make fun of me. Well, today... We're going to talk all about our walk. So let's take our Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, as we look at how Paul talks about the Christian walk. If you're joining us for the first time, since the brand new year, we have been in this book of Ephesians. And we were in a whole different series before where we looked at Ephesians 1 through 3, where Paul's talking to this church. This church started out as a group of of Jewish individuals who then gave their lives to Christ. And so now you have this new group. But as they lived out their faith in Christ, people in the community started to come to faith. And then people from outside the community started to come in and come to faith. And before you know it, all of a sudden you have this group that was extremely diverse. Different racial backgrounds, different language backgrounds. This was a diverse group. And Paul said, before I really get into the meat of this, I want to talk about who you are. 
But to understand who you are, you got to understand who you used to be. And before Christ, you were blind. In fact, he said you were spiritually dead. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? You spiritually were dead, but through faith in Christ, he said, you have been redeemed by Jesus. You have been, you've been rescued by Jesus. He says, you have been now adopted into God's family, and you have been sealed with the very Holy Spirit of God. That's who you are. You are now alive in Christ. And then in chapter 4, he makes this transition. Because he says, if all that is true, then we need to talk about what you're going to do with it. How are you supposed to walk out your faith? And that's why this new series is called Community in Action. Everything in this series is going to call us and move us to this place of action, which brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that the Christian walk is the journey to Christ-likeness. The Christian walk is a journey to Christ-likeness. So how do we do that? How are we supposed to walk out our faith? How are we supposed to not walk around like a bunch of Charlie Brown characters and instead walk as Christ? What does that look like? Well, Paul, through today's text, really gives us two ways we do that. The first way is we see that Christ-likeness requires putting off and putting on. Let's look at verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Paul says this, he says, now this I say and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sens sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So Paul starts out by stressing in the Lord or by the authority of the Lord. And what Paul is pointing to is, if you're going to follow Jesus, then that means you're going to follow how Jesus lived and you're going to follow what Jesus taught, right? That's what you're going to, because Jesus, how he lived and taught, in John chapter one, Jesus looked at the disciples and what did he say? He said, follow me. I want you to live like I live. And then in John chapter 13, he says, I've given you an example, meaning I've lived this out. I showed you exactly what I want you to do. John chapter 15, he says, love as I've loved you. Follow my example. I've done everything you need to do. So do what I said to do and do how I showed you how to do it. That's what I want you to do. Live that out. Walk that out. Here's a problem though. The problem is we don't start like that. We start more of what Ephesians 1 through 3 talks about. You know, where we were blind, where we were, where we were spiritually dead. Because we chase self, don't we? Our whole world is consumed with our way of thinking. We view the world through the lens of me. That's how we view the world. As scripture says it this way. It says in um, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You see, walking as Christ makes no sense when you're blind to the ways of Christ. Living as self does. And so what I love about this, Paul says, 
Paul says, if you want to live as Christ, this is what it's going to look like. There are some simple steps. And, and what I love is sometimes, sometimes we set these lofty goals and we're not sure exactly how to live that out. And so Paul shows us how to do it. Now, some of you have been followers of Jesus for a long time. And as you hear these steps, you're going to go, yeah, I'm still living that out. Like, I'm still walking through it. Some of you, you're new to the gospel. You're new to scripture. And this actually is going to make a lot of sense to you, I think. Because the first thing that Paul tells us to do is he says, there's some things that you need to put off. Uh, Some things you need to take off. Some things you need to strip away again. Because you're seeing the whole world through the, the filter of self. What I want, what I need, my appetite, right? My appetite, what I want to accomplish, the things that I'm striving for in life. Everything is built off that filter. And so I need to strip some things away. Romans 6, 6 says that our old nature has been crucified with Christ, right? I I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. After you strip it off, the second part of this process is you renew your mind, No longer are you supposed to have that mind that says, I'm at the center of everything. Now the renewal of your mind says, it's now going to be the mind of Christ because I'm a new creation. That's what scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When a person receives Jesus as Savior, they are a new creation. 1 Corinthians 2 says, we are given the mind of Christ. We we have this process of renewing our mind where we think differently. Because you're not, you're not viewing the world through your own mind, through a selfish mind, through a self-focused, self-centered, egocentric mind. You're viewing the world through the mind of Christ, which then leaves us with the final step, which is you put on, right? So you put off and you put on. What are you putting on? The actions, the behaviors, the speech of Jesus. There's a change that takes place. So Amy and I, we've been married for over 25 years now. When we celebrated our 20th anniversary, we got to do something pretty special, and let's go on a cruise. It's the second time in our marriage we've been able to do that. And um, guys, I love going on. Anyone ever been on a cruise? Raise your hand. Okay, second service, either A, they were just hot and didn't want to play along because people were sitting close to them, or they just haven't been. But y'all, like a bunch of you guys have done it. I love it. Because what happens on a cruise is everyone's stuck on the boat with me and they can't get away from me. I get to talk to everybody, right? And Amy, who's actually way more extroverted than I am, Amy rolls her eyes at me because she's like, Billy, you'll never see these people again. You don't know them. Why are you talking to everybody? And I'm like, I know, but that's the best. So I literally can talk to all the passengers and all the workers and the workers. Okay, for those of you who have never been on a cruise, The cruise lines will intentionally hire people from all around the world, and their little name badge will tell you where they're from. And so I'm like, this is a mission trip. Like, and they give me lots of food. This is great. So you're there, and the whole world is there. And so I get to know them. I get to know all about their family. I get to know about their dreams. I get to know about their faith in Christ. I'm like, this is awesome. Like, all my best friends are here. It's so good. And um. One particular night during that anniversary cruise, I was not important, but I was wearing my fancy pants because we had been to the fancy dinner, right? And Amy had on her fancy dress, and we're walking, you know, we're acting like we're in love and doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, because we, we are in love. No. I mean, we weren't acting. We really were in love. I mean, we are still. Whatever. We were walking. My hands getting sweaty. That was not... 
the first two services did not get that. Just, you know, let me go back to my story because I'm really getting nervous. All right. We were walking. And as we were walking, there was a guy playing one of those steel pans. You know what a steel pan is? Like, it's the thing that looks like a turtle shell that's inside out, upside down. That, and it's like shining. However Caribbean music sounds, you know. That's my best Caribbean music sound. So he's doing the Caribbean music sound, the steel pan. And this guy, I mean, we, we had like a small chat at the end. He's kind of been in a hurry. So he had to put his thing in his big case with his big handle and then will his little steel pan away. I actually did some reading because I thought, where did this instrument come from? The basis of this instrument is so intriguing. It's only been around for about 80 years. And what they did on this island is they took old oil drums. We call that toxic waste, right? So they took these oil drums and they started to hammer them and hammer them and hammer them and hammer them until all that's left is this shiny new creation. And they keep hammering until the tones and the notes and everything, it just gets just perfect until they're able to play the music that you hear now. If you ever get a chance to hear one live, like do it because the sound, you just can't get it off of your computer. It does not sound the same. You got to hear this instrument live. Incredible. And isn't that what the Lord does with us? Millions of oil drums in my head in the landfill. I don't know how many there actually are, but a lot of oil drums to choose from, they pick the exact one they want and they have to hammer and work and work and they take the ordinary and they make it into the extraordinary and that's what God does with us. He chooses us. He picks us. Christ died for us and he starts to hammer away at that old self that needs to be stripped away, that needs to be pulled away. That's a painful process, dying to yourself. It's not easy. You strip all that away. Your mind is renewed until the ordinary becomes something extraordinary. And then we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the hands and the feet of Christ to this entire world. Isn't that awesome? Like that's what that process of not walking like Charlie Brown or Bill Arena looks like. That's what it looks like to walk as Christ. It is the taking off, the renewing of the mind, and the putting on. Then Paul gives us a second thought for this journey to Christ-likeness. And that is that Christ-likeness reveals itself in everyday life. For those of you who are practical people, you're going to love this. Look at verse 25. Paul says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love this. Because so oftentimes, people who do what I do, they'll say things like, be holy because God is holy. And when I used to sit where you're sitting, I would sit there and go, cool. Like, what am I supposed to do with that, though? 
Like, I'm not God. How am I supposed to do that? And it's almost like Paul right here is talking to every single one of us because he's writing to the church. Don't forget that. He's writing to the church. And Paul's like, I'm going to give you the practical how-to. You want to walk out your faith in Christ? You want to live as Jesus? Here's what it's going to look like. And he's talking to the church. And he says, first of all, stop lying. Okay, that was kind of funny to me when I first read it. I'm like, wait, he's telling people to tell the truth. And he's writing to the church, which means there's people who's lying right now. They're li- but when you think about this, go back to the before you strip off the old. Before you take that off, you're very self-centered. You're very self-focused. Lying makes sense, doesn't it? When the whole world is about you, lying makes a lot of sense. It helps me get what I want. It helps me get what I deserve. It helps me to not let you know about these other things that are going on that makes me look a lot better if you don't know about those things, right? It helps me cover those up in a way, and it helps relationships exist that shouldn't exist. Lying, and he just speaks directly against it, and here's how he does it. Paul says, let's not forget that you and I, we are members one to another. Do you see that right now? There's actually going on a Next Step Pathway class. There was 20, 25 people down there saying, I want to say yes to be members with you. And I want you to say yes to be members with us. We want to be part of your church family. Isn't that incredible? What's going on right now? People saying, I want to be church family with you because we are members one to another. You've heard me say so often, there are no Lone Ranger Christians You don't see that in Scripture. What you see is this constant push for all of us to share in this relationship with one another. So in doing that, we have to be honest with each other. We have to tell the truth to each other. We have to love each other enough to tell the truth. And then he moves on to anger. We are to be on guard against sinning when we're angry. Now, after the first service, someone actually grabbed me. And it was a conversation I've had many, many times in the office through the years. And that's a conversation that says this, Pastor... What about when I have a righteous anger? Some of you actually right now, you do have a righteous anger. You look at the community around us and it breaks your heart and honestly makes you a little angry that there's people in our community who could possibly be hungry. And so you say to yourself, this can't happen on my watch. And so the Lord is stirring in you right now to start to volunteer with the Samaritan house. Right now you're being stirred to do that. And you've got this passion and desire to see hunger stomped out in our community. For some of you, it's with orphans. You're like, there's no way on our watch there, there should be kids who feel rejected, that feel neglected, that feel like there's no one who loves them. That's why I'm here. I want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus because I'm so angry that this is the way it is. That is a righteous anger. All right, that holy discontent that you have. That's not what Paul's talking about, just so we're clear. He's talking about that self-centered anger. And what that looks like is, you hurt me and I'm bubbling. Like, I'm getting so mad and I'm getting ready to lower the boom on you. Because you done made me mad. Right? That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about that self-centered. And some of you do it like this. Some of you are like, well, I mean, I have a long fuse though. So, I mean, there's a big boom at the end of that long fuse. But I got a long fuse, a really long fuse. Let's look at what James said. James said, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then Paul talks about stealing. Remember, he's talking to the church. 
And, and when he's writing to the church, he's talking about stealing. I, I think we look at that and we're like, how in the world is that possible? Especially when we're supposed to live as Christ. And what did Christ say? It says in Mark 10 that he came not to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. He, he gave. He didn't take. Right? He didn't steal. Stealing makes sense when it's self-centered. Self-centered stealing makes sense. I want that. You have that. I'm taking that. Now, it's my two-year-olds do that, don't they? Two-year-olds do it, and they say, mine. And we kind of giggle, no, it's not yours. You're going to share. No, mine. You know, and they get that face on, that mean on, you know. They get it going on, and this is mine, and they can't understand. Why would you want to take it away? They wanted it. Therefore, they took it. And so when you're in that self-centered, egocentric phase, stealing kind of makes sense. How do you battle against that as a follower of Jesus? Well, I love that one of our values as a church is we had this courageous, this bold, this daring generosity that we're called to. People have asked me before, never at Woodside, though. I'll tell you this question has never come up at Woodside. But I've had people ask me, like, Pastor, when we're tithing, do you tithe 10% of, of your net or your gross? You know, before taxes, they're looking for the loophole. That's what that question is, right? I just want to make sure that I'm checking the box. So where's the box? Generosity. Generosity is what happens above and beyond the tithe. That's generosity. And I just want you to know that as a church, I see you living this. And it happened just last night. You see, last night I, I posted a photo on Facebook just asking you guys to pray letting you know that there was uh, some of our church family and they lost their house to a fire. And when I say lost their house, I mean lost their car, lost their house, lost everything. But they were able to get out of the house and they're okay. And then I heard this morning that the house caught fire again at 11 last night. Um, you know, just for anything that could have been salvageable, that all burned as well. So it's, it's all gone. And I want you to know that your response was overwhelming and beautiful. Your response was, we're praying, we're praying. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for protecting this family physically. And then people start to inbox me on Facebook and I start to get text messages just saying, hey, what does this family need? What can we do? How can we help meet the needs? Even to see after the second service, um, praying for a couple of the family members downstairs, just the, the very real tears, the very real support. And again, a whole church family saying, how do we live generously? We want to be generously because we see church family hurting. We see them in need, and we'll meet that need. That's how you battle stealing. That's what it looks like. And then he moves on to speech. Man, this one's hard because our old self says, well, I just sometimes I got to say what I need to say. You don't want to bottle it all up. If you bottle it, you might pop. You know, I don't want to pop. That sounds painful, so I'm just going to get it out. And, and I've seen people, even in church, I've seen people use two words and they think like these two words fix everything. Like they know, they know what they're going to say is going to hurt your feelings. They know it's going to offend you. They know it's, it's going to wound you. And yet if you say, just saying, that fixes it, right? I can say whatever I want if I say, just saying, just saying. And so they can wound you. They can hurt you. They can say all kinds of nasty stuff to you. But if they say just saying, it takes all ownership off of them, right? But again, if it's self-centered, self-focused, it makes sense. But go back and read what Paul said here. 
You and I, were conduits of grace, aren't we? The words that we speak, they matter. Those words are meant to build up. They're meant to create beauty. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, what does it say? It says, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do that? He spoke. And after he created and after he built up, he said, it is good. You and I, we get to be part of that. We get to build beautiful things with the way that we speak. We get to build up. We get to be conduits of God's grace based on what we say. It starts in your home, though, doesn't it? Sometimes that's the hardest place to do that. Sometimes that's the hardest place to really guard your speech. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't guard that speech at home, how are you ever going to do it at school or at work? How are you going to do it within this church? How are you going to do it in the community or on that cruise ship with a bunch of people you don't even know? How are you going to do it if you don't do it in your very home? Guard your speech. Strip off the old. Renew your mind. Put on the new. Finally, this bitterness. I mean, again, bitter. All of these make sense to the old self. Bitterness. Bitterness is when you say, that person right there, that person right there, they hurt this person I love. And you get your face all wrinkly and you grit your teeth. You ball up your fist and you may hide your fist a little bit so they can't see them. But man, you're just mad. And you're like, God one day is going to lower the boom on them and maybe I'm the boom that's waiting. You know, I'm just going to, God's going to get even with them and I can't wait. You know, but the whole time you're doing that, I want you to know that bitterness that you're holding on to That person's not even thinking about it. That's wounding you. You're the one who's being injured from that bitterness. You being that conduit of God's grace is what's being injured. That person doesn't even know you're bitter. And the whole time you're just all balled up and all angry. Yet Jesus from the cross, nailed to a cross, carrying the weight and the shame of the world. What did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even on the cross, Jesus says, I'm not going to choose bitterness. Even from that spot, I'm not going to choose bitterness. I'm going to choose grace. It's it's when you look at someone who's wronged you. It's when you look at someone who's wronged someone that you care about and you say to them, God has forgiven me of so much. God has forgiven me of everything. How can I possibly hold a grudge against you? Let me say that again because it's actually not something I said. In the last few months, there was someone who came in my office, and these are the words that they used. And I think they're words that some of you need to hear today. So let me say it again. It's when you look at someone and you say to them, God has forgiven me of everything. God has literally forgiven me of everything. How can I possibly hold this against you? It's not easy, is it? Taking off this old self, renewing the mind, putting on the new. It's not easy. It's a constant journey, isn't it? It's a constant part of the journey. So I want to leave you with a little challenge. Easter's six weeks away, and some of you need to take a specific step at Easter. All of us need to take steps in our faith because none of us, none of us have reached that place where we can say, I am living completely as Christ today, right? We all have areas we need to work on. Sermons like this, um, they're good reminders of where those areas are. But here's what happens. You 
go to church or you hang out with that friend or you start to read the Bible, and all of a sudden there's some stuff that starts to happen in the mind, isn't there? All of a sudden you know, you're like, I know that God loves me. I know this to be true. I know it in my head. I know that I have messed up. God is perfect. God is holy. I am not. I am not holy. I'm not perfect. I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's glory. And so what do we do? We try to get up there and right standing with God, right? And so we pray a little bit. Yeah, I didn't do it. I'm going to be a good boy. You're going to be a good girl. Nope, that didn't do it. And we keep trying to get to God. But see, all of a sudden in your head, you hear the truth. And you're like, oh, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came and he lived this perfect and sinless life. And he is the bridge between us and God. And through faith in Jesus, the work that he has done on the cross, through faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I can have a right hand with And it moves from here to here, doesn't it? And all of a sudden you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The blinders are taken away, as Paul would say, right? I was spiritually dead and I'm spiritually alive. I was spiritually blind, now I can see. And some of you, a whole posse of you in here, you've done that. You've done that and you're like, all right, I've got faith in Christ. But then you're like, but I've never taken the first steps of Christ's likeness. I've never been baptized. Following my faith, I've never been baptized. Six weeks, Easter morning is a baptism Sunday and Saturday because we have four services that weekend, right? It's going to be a busy weekend that weekend. We'll have Good Friday services. We have Easter on Saturday and then Easter on Sunday. And some of you need to take those first steps of faith. You want to talk about an incredible Easter? How about the Easter that you took those steps? Because all this happens privately, doesn't it? This is private. This is private. Baptism is publicly standing with Christ. You publicly stand, and when you go under the water, that's you saying, I am stripping off my old self. My old self is dead. And when you come up out of the water, you are saying, I am now clothed with my new self. I am clothed with Christ. I am this new creation that Scripture talks about. It is a public standing in front of family, friends, church family. Man, what a celebration. Some of you, it's time to take that step. So following this service right outside the doors to the Rise Our Connect desk, make sure you stop there. There's a sign-up sheet. We have a lot of interviews we're going to need to get through over the next six weeks. So please get signed up now so we can start to talk to you about those next steps. But for every single one of us today, I think we all end in that place of saying there are steps I need to take. Maybe it's praying for those five individuals on the card. Maybe it's that bitterness thing for you. Maybe it's speech. Maybe it's generosity. I think we all have some work to do when it comes from moving from walking like a Charlie Brown character to walking as Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for how patient you are with us. You are so good, Lord, and you continue to give us chances again and again and again, and we're a bit of a mess. And it's a mess, Lord, this way more than the hair or way more than the way that we walk. It's our hearts. It's our minds. It's what we do when no one's looking. Lord, sometimes what we do in our social media, sometimes what we do at work or at school or at home. 
that old self can start to jump out so quickly. Lord, I pray that we have the courage to maybe just like that still pan, just to hammer those areas out of our lives. Lord, we want to be women and men who honor you with all that we do. Lord, our desire is that when people see us, they see you through us. It's not us they see, it's you. Because we've been clothed with Christ. Lord, continue to show us what it means to be members one to another. To serve one another, to speak truth to one another, to love one another. To be generous to one another. To serve one another to forgive one another. Lord, continue to show us what that means and give us the boldness to step that out in faith. We do love you and we do thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen and amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning in worship.